Hello, my sisters, brothers, and non-binary siblings, and welcome to the Hearkening Deer podcast, a pod of contemplative spirituality through Christ-leaning guided meditation. I'm your host, Sean J. Stevens, and today is the second part of my conversation with one of my favorite authors, Dr. Bradley Jerzak. Dr. Bradley Jerzak is an author and teacher based in Canada, my home country. He's the Dean of Theology and Culture at St. Stephen's University in New Brunswick. And he's written a number of books, over 20 I think, including his first fictional novel, The Pastor, A Crisis, with Paul Young, and his new release, A More Christ-Like Word, Reading Scripture, The Emmaus Way, which is available for pre-order now. Brad has also asked me to mention that if you're from Canada as well, to pre-order it from House of James. We talk about deconstruction, the difference between Eastern Orthodox and Evangelical theology, God as all-merciful, meditation and listening prayer, all this among other things in this part of the conversation. The whole conversation, unbroken and uninterrupted, can be found on Patreon. The link is in the show notes. Anyway, we had a great conversation, and I'm so excited to share this part with you. So let's get right into it. I've heard you talk about, like, there are many different views of God throughout the Bible. Uh, yeah, yeah. Correct? Yeah. And I've heard you talk about that, how that's an example of why we need uh, Yeshua. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, and, and I would compare that to there's many ways of seeing God today, right? We have the image of God today where some people think he's he's an angry, punishing God and others think mm. he's a distant, silent God. Right. In fact, some think he's a he's an absentee landlord or a deadbeat dad who's a, not going to punish them. He's just disappeared altogether. Yeah, gone. And then others see him more like a genie in a lantern or a fairy godmother. And if I just pray right and I, if I give him puppy dog eyes and maybe I can even like um, it, it's like a, a, a gold digger, right? Who right. I, I'm I, I'll manipulate him into getting what I want. And, the, and so you've got those kind of views even today, but throughout the, the scriptures, you see the same thing. And so um, as evangelicals, we, we tended to believe that all the scriptures were like a flat Bible and give the same truth about God over and over. It's like, right. have you read the Bible? <laughs> because um, you, you definitely have a development of ideas about God that are inferred from their experiences. And so, right. Um, so for some of them, really God did, did see like seem to be a, the great divine punisher and mm-hmm. other places, exactly the same thing. He's the God who's abandoned them and he's absent. And then mm-hmm. there's others. It's like, if you just have enough faith, he'll do whatever you, you know? And so, yeah. Um, you get competing images of God within the Old Testament conversation. Mm-hmm. This is not a threat to the Bible. Jews never worried about that. They're like Jews. They, they, they're like, well, on the one hand, he's this. Yeah, but on the other hand, he's this. And it's like, well, yeah. wait a minute, but he, he sent us off to Babylon. It's like, yeah, but on the other hand, he saved us from Babylon. So, but he, then he sent the, this temples destroyed. It's like, yeah, but we got the temple, you know, and they're going back yeah. and forth. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, it's like, and some of the, these are really in opposition, like right. in Samuel, it's like, well, 
God tempted David to count his mighty men, and then he punished him for doing it. And, and mm-hmm. the chronicler, a few hundred years later, tells the same story. And he goes, actually, it was Satan who tempted him. God doesn't tempt yeah. people. So different ideas and these kind of tensions that are mounting about who is this God? What is he like? And then, boom, mm-hmm. the Messiah shows up. Mm-hmm. To, to demonstrate the true nature of God. And John says very, you know, you and I know that in a way, Moses saw God. In a way, David saw God. In a way, Isaiah saw God. And and yet, John 1 says, no one's ever seen God at any time, but God, the only son who's in the bosom of the father, he has made him known. And and. Hebrews 1, well, in in long time ago, God, God revealed himself this way and that way to the prophets. But in these last days, he's revealed his exact nature in mm-hmm. his son. And so it's like Jesus has to show up to, to, to set things right about the nature of God as Abba, as mm-hmm. Father, yeah. Papa, Papa. And... Uh, and he is bringing a new level of intimacy and, and a new vision of God, really. Because this whole God is Father thing, we assume assume it all the time. There's mm-hmm. not that much in the Hebrew scriptures pointing right. to that. A little bit here and there. But Jesus calls him God or Father 70 times. Wow. And, he's, and then he says, if you've, uh, Philip says, oh, it, if you would just show us the Father, that would be enough for us. He's like... If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So uh, my friend Brian Zond will say, you know, God is like Jesus. He's exactly like Jesus. He's always been exactly like Jesus. We didn't always know that, but now we do. Right. And I would add, or at least we should. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and following that, um, I, yeah, I've heard you talk about um, reading the Bible through the lens of, of Yeshua, of Jesus. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Uh, just, you know, the difference between reading the Bible through Yeshua and, or I don't know, reading Yeshua through some of our misinterpretations of the Bible. Sure. Um, so there's a lot of scriptures about this. I'm actually, uh, my new book, A More Christ-like Word has just gone to the printer as of today. Oh, cool. And uh, it's available. And I talk about the Emmaus way of reading scripture where, it becomes clear that uh, the scriptures, that there was a veil over the scriptures that his, even Jesus' disciples did not see yeah. how the scriptures pointed to Jesus mm-hmm. until after his death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. They don't yeah. get it. And certainly the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin and so on, they didn't get it. Mm-hmm. And so they're reading they're reading the scriptures in this veiled way, but but the death and resurrection of Jesus unveils the scriptures mm-hmm. so that now when we read them, the scriptures unveil Jesus. They right. say, oh, yeah. um, they make sense of how this rabbi who's crucified outside of Jerusalem um, is actually the Messiah they've been waiting for. Now we see it, but we only mm-hmm. see it if you read it from the end. Yeah. If you, uh, Father John Bear taught me this, that, that we need to read the Bible from the end through that Emmaus way of reading where Jesus yeah. says, he, take, he, he, he says that in Moses, the prophets and all the scriptures, mm-hmm. that they were pointing to him, that they, that they were um, forecasting his, his passion and his glorification. And mm-hmm. so then in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul says, if, 
if you if you don't have the veil removed, then all these scriptures are just going to be a ministry of condemnation. Mm. But once the veil is removed and yeah. you see that it's about beholding Christ, mm-hmm. then he says, then all the scriptures become a, a revelation or a ministry of reconciliation. Yeah. And so in the early church, they would talk this way is that once you, once you see that the old Testament is about Jesus and mm-hmm. about us, um, then the entire Bible becomes the new Testament, yeah, wow. including Genesis, right? Is, yeah. is it's new Testament. Now that we see Genesis three fifteen was fulfilled in Christ. Right. Um, and and Psalm 103, you know, this beautiful Psalm of David. Oh, okay, now we see that that's New Testament when read yeah. as, as a foreshadowing or prefigurement of, of the passion of Christ. Psalm mm. 22 is about the death and resurrection of Jesus. The story of Jonah, the whole thing. He's everywhere there. So um, one thing I want to say about, just a caution about reading with the Jesus lens is what right. we're not saying is, that we put the lens on and now it means something different. Right. No, it always meant that by the spirit, but the lens helps us see what is there. Yeah. What was waiting for us and what we could not see until, until uh, after the resurrection. Right. Yeah. And I've heard you talk about uh, interpretation of scripture as kind of like a a three-legged stool. Do you want to talk about that for a second? Yeah. So, um, well, and not only the interpretation of scripture, but even hearing God's voice for ourselves through listening. Yeah, yes, right, 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 right. right. And so um, um, it's always going to be an act of faith. We mm-hmm. don't get to have certitude. We can have confidence in Christ. Right. But, but I, you know, we need to be humble about like, really, when we're talking about something as great as God, <laughs> well, we're like toddlers with blunt crayons drawing a picture of Papa that's way outside the lines, but he receives it with love and affection. He's like, Oh, thank you. And he puts it on his fridge. Um, But, but like, let's not pretend we're Michelangelo at this. Uh, We we just can't be, but, but, um, but where can we get confidence that we might be on the right track? So the three legs I see of the stool are one, the scriptures. I, I believe the scriptures provide us uh, the, an account of the life of Jesus of Nazareth and, and the entire drama of redemption of which he's the pinnacle. Yeah. So the scriptures, the scriptures, uh, second, uh, the, the spirit. Um, and so the Holy Jesus says in John 16, he doesn't say, I will give you the Bible and that will lead you into all truth. He says, I'll give you the spirit of truth. Yeah. And so the Holy Spirit of truth enables us to see Christ, uh, to converse with Christ in our hearts and to see Christ within the scriptures and that, mm-hmm. he, that the spirit illuminates the scriptures for us. And without the, with, without the spirit, um, we, we don't see as we should. So the spirit right. in us. And then third, um, and this is a shocking one for, for people these days, is, is the church. Um, Paul says that he doesn't say the, that the Bible is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Right. Um, if I had written it, I would have said that Christ is the pillar and foundation of the truth. But, but Paul says the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. I'm like, what? Right. What are you talking about? And, and, and it, what he seems to be saying is that the people of God, filled with the spirit of God 
carry the message of God, which is the gospel. And, and mm. it's through, it's through the, this, through Jesus church, the gathering of the new covenant believers that, that the gospel is preserved from generation to generation. All mm. right. So that includes not just where I go to church. It means what has the church said about this? How has the church right. developed over the yeah. centuries? Mm-hmm. What is it the Spirit's shown the church generation after generation? So right. when I have the, the scriptures and the Spirit and the church in harmony on something, I can have, I have more confidence yeah. that I'm on the right track. Yeah. And, uh, and But always this needs upgrading for every generation, like mm-hmm. even basic questions like what is, what is the gospel anyway? Yeah, revisiting that, but not not just um, reinventing the wheel. It's going back and listening to how the Spirit showed the fir- the early church fathers, the apostles, and so on. Yeah, what, uh, what what? But always about Jesus. How is this about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ? Um, or or uh, yeah, that was that was the big question they're trying to answer when he asked the question, "Who do?" Who do you say that I am? <laughs> yeah. We're still, we, we need to keep working on that. Who do we say this, this one crucified mm. and risen. And I'm still, I'm, I believe I'm still seeing God unveil things for us that we hadn't seen before. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah. I remember now, now that I've already asked the question, I remember now the context in which I heard you talking about that. And um, you were talking about, how you were preaching one thing and you heard a voice and you felt the need to re-examine that. Do you yeah. want to talk about that for just a bit? Sure. Um, so I, I grew up in a home where penal substitutionary atonement, and I'll define that for listeners, the mm-hmm. idea that uh, God could not just freely forgive you. He needed to punish sin mm-hmm. and that he punished your sin, poured all his wrath out, against sin onto his son. So the Mm -hmm. father was punishing the son in your place. That is penal substitutionary atonement. It's a theory of the atonement that was invented in about 1517 AD. So we're talking one and a half millennium after the New Testament. But in evangelicalism, it became our gospel. Hmm. It's not a theory of the atonement. In fact, like let's say the Southern Baptists right now have just... Uh, in the last few years, they've reworked their major statement on this yeah. to say, if you don't believe this, you're not a Christian. Right. So um, that's what I grew up with. I was faithful to that. Yeah. And uh, I, they're not embarrassed about that. I wasn't embarrassed about it. In fact, I believed that it was a fundamental of the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. And I did my master's thesis defending penal substitution. I have, I have skin in this game. Sometimes yeah. people think I'm just painting a caricature. It's like, no, no, I'm right. telling you what I wrote in my 180-page defense of it. Right. And what I began yeah. to preach as an evangelist uh, with an anointing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So so that's what I was preaching. And then uh, I would have thought I was faithful to Scripture. But what happens is I, I'm I'm praying one day and... and uh, a thought came to mind, an intrusive thought hmm. from a voice I recognized. Yeah. Let's not say it was God just yet. Let's just call it a thought. 
Right. The thought said, stop telling people I was punishing my son. That's not what was happening. Yeah. And that's the tone it was in. That's yeah. not what was happening. Hmm. Well, here's some advice. Never change your theology because you heard like one voice in your head. <laughs> There's a lot yeah. of voices in your head. Yeah. But what it did do is it sent me is I'm like, that might've been the spirit conveying the heart of the father. Yeah. I should at least go double check the scriptures. Yeah. So I go, so I start with the spirit in my heart. I go double check the scriptures and suddenly I'm, I'm reading them differently. Yeah. Isaiah 53, you will think I'm stricken, but by, by, he's stricken by God, but it was your sins. Right. That put him there. And it's like, yeah. in other words, you'll think God was punishing him, but he wasn't. Mm -hmm. You were punishing him. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> wait a minute. So I, I start re I'm now reading the scriptures with a different um, lens. And then I'm like, well, I'm even then it's like, I need that third leg of the stool. So I start sending out emails to people from all across different faith traditions, evangelicals, charismatics, Anglicans, Catholics, Eastern, Eastern Orthodox, conservatives, liberals, and mm -hmm. we're talking top scholars, N.T. Wright, Miroslav Volf, Richard Ro like these guys from very okay. different, who even disagree with each other on a lot of stuff. And right. one by one, they're, I, I, I'm saying, here's what I'm seeing, have, have I lost the plot? And they're like, oh, no. Um, you're right. And, and we've been saying that too. And like, really? <laughs> and so out of that, we ended up gathering 20 essays in response mm -hmm. to what I was hearing. And mm -hmm. that became the book stricken by God question mark. Um, right. And, and, and with chapters by each of these folks that I was contacting. Right. So that's a good example where when it's something as major as your theology of the cross, that you're going to want to have a confidence that gathers by checking in with the scriptures and the spirit and the church. So that, right. that's a good illustration of how I practice it. Right. Oh yeah, no, that's, that's great. That's wonderful. So my audience, um, the audience of this show, uh, it's a Christian meditation podcast and the audience is, it's really interesting because uh, a large portion of our audience is uh, people who go to church every Sunday and are looking for, you know, a more contemplative spirituality that's not really practiced too much in congregational settings. And then another large portion, e equally large, I would say, portion of the audience are people who've been really hurt by the church and um, don't want anything to do with the church currently. And yep. have gone through or are going through a deconstruction. Um, yeah, and the, and they still want some semblance of a spiritual community and spiritual practice, and they're comfortable with Christian language and metaphors uh, to varying degrees, um, because it's what we've been raised into. Uh, do you want to? Would you? You know, I one of the reasons why I love you so much as as a guest, not just because I, I love your work, but also because you're kind of a bridge between the two. Uh, I, is that fair to say? You're kind of a bridge between those two audiences. And in, in, in that, I know that de deconstruction is such a buzzword right now, but, but I think in some ways it is helpful. And it sounds like you've deconstructed a lot of aspects of, of the faith. And it sounds like you've kept your foundation intact, which is 
um, wonderful, uh, beautiful, and takes a strong person to do that. Uh, do you mind maybe just talking about that? Like, would would you would you frame it that way, or would you frame it a little bit differently? Yeah, that's 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 about right. I well, one thing I would say is completely wrong is that it, is that it had to do with anything to do with strength in me. Here's what happened. Oh. I went through two, I, I've been through two kinds of deconstruction. Mm-hmm. One is a theological, it's really a, a theological reimagining, right? Mm-hmm. Where you no, let's say it differently. It's a, it was a disillusionment that I discovered was, was just with a system not mm. with the gospel. So so like suddenly I'm going, well what's this health thing? I better relook at it. What's mm-hmm. this um what's this penal substitution thing? I better look at it. What's this inerrancy thing? I better relook at it. And all of those were part of my evangelical culture or system. Yeah. And and the great thing about my disillusionment is is that it was God who was showing me that these were illusions. Hmm. So I'm disillusioning, right? And and for some, um, that that feels like really great because you know it's like, yay, I'm a kite and I've cut the string, and it's like, yeah, I've seen so many people do that and they end up in a tree. Um, <laughs> what I what it felt more like to me was instead of like going off the end of the limb of a tree, my friends were doing this. You're going off the end of the limb here. I'm like, yeah. no, no, I'm crawling down the trunk, and I'm discovering that. What I'm discovering is that the early that the early church saw all these things I'm seeing too. So right. in that in that sense, it was weird because I'm I became much more conservative than the evangelicals in that mm. I'm trying to conserve right. God is love. Yeah. God is good. Yeah. That and, and I'm I'm and so so that was a bit odd. But anyway, that kind of disillusioning, it really that felt like freedom to me. And I, I know a lot of people relate to that when you just feel the freedom. Of, oh, you mean I don't have to believe most of the world's going to burn in hell forever <laughs> right? and pretend that's good. You yeah. know, it's like, oh, it's a weight off your shoulders. The theological deconstruction of bad systems, right. toxic, toxic spirituality. But yeah. um, uh, and then uh, I had a personal deconstruction where I really fell apart because hmm. um, of tragedies. Yeah. And I began to wonder if God is good, not mm. theologically, but in my experience of crisis. Right. And, th- and this is where there was no strength to me. Mm-hmm. I, I ended up like bulldozed. And this is where it was more about, it was just a miracle where it's like having been bulldozed and I'm like, everything's gone. It's like, wait a minute. God is good. I can still say that. I don't know why I can still say that because the crises would challenge that, but it's like, I guess it's just a gift that mm. I, that I, that I still know that in my knower somehow. And I can say it as a faith statement when things are really dark. Mm. And so that that's the personal deconstruction. And then I would say there's a third kind and that is people go through a community deconstruction where their own faith community is so toxic. They actually need to leave it for a time. Yeah. Um, I didn't go through that because I had a, I had a beautiful faith family who actually carried me. Yeah. Uh, they encouraged my theological disillusionment right. and they carried me in my personal um, 
uh, uh, implosion. Right. And, and so I've never walked, I've never needed to run away from a church and, and, um, I, I have a real heart for people where I know they needed to. Yeah. And, and uh, my heart's broken for them because they're in a double bind where it's like, I left, but now I'm alienated Mm. and I've got to talk to someone, but I don't have a pastor. And I certainly wouldn't go back to the one I left, you know, and Mm. I'm hearing that from pastors too. I'm an ex-pastor after 20 years, and I I never want to be a pastor again. And I even had good people. But you have people like congregations that obliterate their pastors. And and so they deconstruct. And and, um, But it's like going from the frying pan of a toxic culture into the fire of alienation. So I'm just really praying for people to find... um, who, who their community can be. And, and that could yeah. include your community. Mm-hmm. And, and because, because alienation is like hell, you know, yeah. as I said before. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. and I also know that, that um, deconstruction can go very wrong. It, it can lead you into new bondages um, and it's not even your fault. So for some, it's just like a big party. Yay, I'm deconstructing. Well, yay, well, this is wonderful. And yeah. and for, but for others, it's like getting a mastectomy. It's yeah. like you need you knew you needed the cancer to go, but you didn't get to choose how much of the breast you lost. Yeah. You know, and I, my mom went through that in, mm-hmm. in her uh, actual literal life. Where where and I'm just like the people who experience um, deconstruction in that way. Mm-hmm. I, I know some of them feel very alienated by the deconstructionists who, who they're not being a good testimony. It's back right. to evangelicalism. You're right. supposed to be partying, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's what we were told as evangelicals. It's like, well, now I'm a deconstruction. So I'm supposed to be partying, but I'm dying here. <laughs> yeah. You know? So um, sometimes it could just be switching the ism at the end, right? <laughs> absolutely. And and so I just, I just want to say I have empathy for those folks and that I, I really yeah. care about you. And and I'm glad that they found you as, as a place where they, there's some kind of anchor for them to, to reconstruct because and reimagine. Right. And and that the the end the end is better than the beginning, even if you have to pass through a dark shadow first. And detox yeah. detox is no fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and some of us have had like, I know one of my a, a couple I know they're professional worship leaders and and they just had to stop going to church. But then they mm-hmm. had panic attacks every Sunday morning for mm-hmm. until the withdrawal ended. Yeah. And now they're doing okay, but you know, mm-hmm. so be, we need to have empathy for people um, wherever mm-hmm. they're at in their journey. And for those who are trying to stay part of their congregation, because that's really their community. Um, I want to honor that and say, like, don't be in a rush to leave. It's okay to be in a group where you disagree. That's called mm-hmm. maturity, mm-hmm. holding yeah. difference with respect is maturity and that mm-hmm. the church was never meant to be a group of like-minded people. It's a right. family of right. really different, diverse people. And there's yeah. always going to be like uncle Bob is one of them. And you're like, right. Oh geez, he's so creepy, you know, <laughs> but, well, but we're family. So, yeah. okay. You better invite him. Right. You know? <laughs> do, you, do you watch, sorry. Do you watch the chosen? 
Do you? Yeah, you, yeah, I've yeah. seen some of I, it. I just, I, I love how they referred, how some of the characters in that refer to um, John. This, just what you said, made me think of this as they refer to John the Baptist, John the Baptizer as, as creepy John. I just, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think just the picture that you're painting there, I, I kind of think of like, you know, Peter and Paul were so different in so many ways, and then John is like. Yeah, almost kind of like that crazy uncle. Like, yeah, they're just like, uh, yeah. It's it's amazing when you look at at like, yeah, something was holding that all together. <laughs> yeah, something supernatural. And and the thing is, if because if you if you make your goal, I want to just find people like me and worship together. It's like you won't you will not be able to hold it. a home group together. Yeah, you know, not yeah. for more than a couple, two, three years. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So, yeah. So. You know, in in that in that line, you you were you mentioned you were raised Baptist, and now mm-hmm. you're Eastern Orthodox. Yeah, there, yeah, there, yeah. I went Baptist twenty years, yeah. Mennonite, where I was ordained pastor for ten years. Yeah, then a church planter in a sort of a charismatic church, but really focused on people with disabilities and addictions and the margins. Right. For, I was there for uh, I was led that for ten years, and then so was that Langley Vineyard. No, but we were okay. good friends with them. Our church was okay. called Fresh Wind. Okay. And it was, you know, a third of the church were people with disabilities in full-time care and just wow. uh but we had we we had good friends down at the Langley Vineyard who who they were part of opening me up to the spirit and and right. it was a healthy form of it at the time. Mm. And so uh, I'm I was really grateful for that. But ultimately I ended up in the Orthodox Church and Partly because I just love the all merciful God who doesn't require me to believe in eternal conscious torment right. and who, who doesn't, be, they don't believe 350 million of us. We don't believe in penal substitution um, and they are the mm-hmm. stewards of the early church fathers. So mm-hmm. I'm comfortable there. And I love the order and the pageantry and the drama and the colors and the smells, which seem to help me after my meltdown. Um, just in terms of as medicine. So they were kind of a hospital to me after tragedy. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. That's super beautiful. Yeah. All right, folks, it's that time again. Time to keep the lights on. Today's episode is brought to you by you. The listeners of Harkening Deer are what keep this show going, and in particular, our patrons. And in just one week... Starting June 20th, the patrons who subscribe at the third-tier Harkening Caribou level will enjoy the next 21-day meditation challenge called the Prayer of the Messiah, wherein we will spend 21 days meditating upon a traditional church prayer commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. And patrons of all levels will enjoy some brand new rewards, including the episodes segmented and to each interview and each meditation isolated and uninterrupted. If you're not yet a patron, I encourage you to consider subscribing at any level by clicking the Patreon link in the show notes. And if you're not ready or able to commit to a monthly subscription, I encourage you to check out resources, offerings, and content on our website, including the growing library of previous 21-day meditation challenges released as audiobook Metavotionals. For those who are new to the show or missed it, Metavotional is a term I coined this past Christmas season in reference to Harkening Deer's original 
and unique meditation devotionals. Recently added to the site is the 21 Days of Cleansing, wherein we cleanse our minds, bodies, and spirits of anxiety, worry, stress, depression, trauma, etc. And also added is the Names of God Metapotional, during which we explore some of the many names of God used throughout the Hebrew and Christian traditions, and the correlating characteristics of God. The link to the website where you can purchase either or both of these metabotionals can also be found in the show notes. And if you're looking for a completely free and easy way to support this show, tell your friends. And don't forget to like, follow, subscribe, rate, and write a review for Hearkening Deer wherever you find us on podcast and social media platforms. And with that, let's get back to the second part of my discussion with Dr. Bradley Jerzak. Yeah, and kind of how, how I got in touch with, with your work actually was through uh, Brian and Della Headley, yeah. who, yeah, like I was saying to you earlier, I, I did their listening prayer yep. course, and I that was super helpful for me as well, get, getting through, you know, a hard time uh, in my life and opening me up to the spirit as well. Um, and I got, so I got, I got a lot, a little bit, I shouldn't say a lot. I got a little bit of pushback when I first started this podcast from um, kind of just like uh, people that, that from my childhood and, and whatnot, that um, meditation is still such a scary word for a lot of Christians. And to me, like, despite being in the Bible quite a bit. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. And, and to me, like listening prayer was kind of like uh, meditation was kind of the, the, the obvious next point for me. Do you, would you, would you mind talking about maybe where I don't know at all where you come from in terms of how you were raised on, on that sort of uh, those sort of sorts of talk topics, but um, yeah. Would you mind talking about that? Yeah, so I'm um, like growing up Baptist. Med- I re- regarded meditation as as prayerful scripture reading. You know, that, like okay. what David David talking about um, uh, meditating on God's word day and night, or on, on the Torah and all of that. Right. And and so it was very it was very much about Bible study and prayer, and and we thought that was meditation. And then and then um, you know when I began to to connect with um the charismatics let's say down at the langley vineyard mm-hmm. um i i saw some pretty profound things in terms of hearing god's voice in very specific accurate verifiable ways and then mm-hmm. i'm like well that feels more like a personal relationship that i had been promised yeah a god who speaks back to you but right. I, I didn't want anything fake, you know. So I'm praying mm-hmm. for this, like, daily, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And mm-hmm. and of all things, like, my wife starts having, gift, like, uh, prophetic dreams that, like, even predictive and accurate. Wow. <laughs> and wow. And I'm like, wait a minute, I was the one praying for this. And she's like, doesn't care. Mm-hmm. which was kind of the issue, right? I was striving and she's just being herself and God speaking to her in her normal life. Yeah. So I began to really honor that in her. And, and then, um, and then, but I also thought, you know, if, 
if there's something to this, this shouldn't be just like a novelty we've discovered. So I began studying the mystics from Christian history right. and people like Teresa of Avila and Julian of Norwich. And I began to see that throughout Christian history, these same phenomena were happening with them. Hmm. And, and a lot of it was around entering the, the gospel stories and experiencing them firsthand in, in kind of almost like a vision or, um, and so, so that was sort of the the Spanish mystics, um, the Ignatian spirituality, which is really right. big. It's quite visual, and mm-hmm. so you're seeing and you're hearing. Um, so, in that context, let me tell you about what I saw about meditation and contemplation. Mm-hmm. So, in the West, um, meditation focuses on on you what you're doing, your, your act, your active in meditation, where let's say you're picturing Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, mm-hmm. you're reviewing what he's saying and what he's experiencing in the garden of Gethsemane. You mm-hmm. purposely step into that picture and you go kneel with him in the garden, for example. Right. Well, at some point in that process, it becomes more passive. Mm. I'm, now he turns to me and I didn't make him turn to me. And right. now he's speaking to me and I'm not putting the words in his mouth. So right. now it's actually God taking over the process. Mm-hmm. Well, in, 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 at least in the Catholic mysticism, um, that's the shift from meditation to contemplation. In okay. other words, listening prayer right. was contemplation. Because you're right. going into real listening now. I think mm-hmm. in the East, they were just reversed the two terms, but it's right. the same and, idea. Yeah. So, oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off there. That's all right. right. But you can see this like in, so in the Psalms, David says, I set the Lord before me mm-hmm. um, always. Yeah. He, I'm setting the Lord before me. I'm putting him there and I'm meditating on him. Right. Right. On the day of Pentecost, Peter um, Peter quotes that Psalm, but he changes a word mm. and he says, I saw the Lord before me, yeah. um, because he's at my right hand, I'll not be shaken. And the idea is he's going from setting the Lord there to seeing the Lord. And this now makes sense of the new Testament language while well, old Testament too, of beholding the Lord with the mm. eyes of your heart. Yeah. I saw the Lord and he's seated on his throne. Mm-hmm. It's having a vision, a visual yeah. So, so, um, so in list, we although we called it listening prayer, it wasn't just about hearing God's voice. It was also about seeing God's face. Yeah. And it wasn't just moving from active to passive. Mm-hmm. It was a real relationship where now it's interactive. Right. Oh well, what are we saying here? It's a friendship. An inter prayer becomes an interaction with a living person inside you. Right. Well, I mean that's. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Look with the eyes of your heart. Here I am standing at the door. And John says, so I looked and there was a door and he's standing there. Yeah. Right? He's not saying, go study your Bibles now. He's saying, step into, step into this, the reality that Christ is in you and that yeah. you can have an interaction. Mm. And that um, the listening prayer community that I was a part of with Brian and Della Headley uh, saw how very quickly that moves towards healing. Yeah, that when we see mm. Christ in the context of our hearts, He cannot wait to begin transforming you from uh, out of fear 
and sorrow and burdens yeah. into into freedom and healing and and i just was stunned by the things we saw as i was you know i would assist brian and della in their in their intensives with some of the most broken people you could ever meet and mm-hmm. that, that with a very strong sense of oh christ is in them willing to speak to them and set them free and we saw yeah. incredible fruit from that i'll i'll i'll, I'll never uh stop being grateful for what the headleys um sort of trained me to to participate in at the time yeah wow oh that yeah i feel that i'm i'm in the same boat with you on that one mm-hmm. yeah 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 i that's really interesting because i feel like essentially you just defined listening prayer how i define meditation so yes that's yeah that's that's really interesting and and uh, it's it's a word of affirmation to me actually to be honest it's um, it, the, it the, it's certainly a form of it right yeah. i mean there's other forms of meditation mm-hmm. but to me there's nothing like hearing the voice of christ and seeing the right. love in his eyes and feeling mm-hmm. the healing of his touch it's like um it's that would be my favorite kind of way to pray and my favorite way to meditate yeah um it's not just about emptying my mind. It's about setting up space for the living one to be right. in his temple, which is me. Right. So, yeah. 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 And there are so many different types of, of meditation. Uh, unfortunately, I, I, I kind of think that sometimes a lot of division happens really just with semantics, you know, Yeah. and, and how we, how we define words. Like I, I, sorry, did you have something to say? On well, that? And, and fear and fear is the yeah. other thing, right? So yeah. what if I get deceived? It's like, mm-hmm. well, you mean you'll probably be less deceived if you don't listen to Jesus <laughs> right? <laughs> or the Eastern Orthodox that I'm with, they're really afraid yeah. of the visual side of it. Well, I'm like, wait a minute. You, you don't think you can get deceived with your ears, but it's only your eyes that deceive you, but your ears are at, come on, you guys. Right. right? right. So um, fear is a big is a big part of it yeah oh for sure yeah definitely i think was it you i don't remember i heard this recently i heard somebody just giving that reminder we, sometimes in the west we we have a tendency to be fearful of anything from the east and I re- i've been recently reminded that christianity is actually originally an eastern religion absolutely <laughs> yeah i mean who the the first christians were well out of, of out of Galilee and yeah. uh, but then like at one point um way before I mean we hadn't even discovered America yet and and probably let's say um uh western europe was still like roman empire mm-hmm. meanwhile all of syria was christian like everybody right. <laughs> and yeah. and the gospel went through thomas all the way to india very quickly and mm. So, and you've got the, the Eastern fa- desert fathers who were all based in the, in the deserts of Egypt. Right. And um, yeah, absolutely. An Eastern religion, or maybe you could say um, it straddled East and West quite right. nicely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it headed West and it headed East uh, from Jerusalem, from Antioch, from Alexandria and all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that the center of Christianity was, for a long time was in, in Turkey, you know? Right. <laughs> so <laughs> Constantinople. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's such a good reminder. 
because I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that um, like North America, like North American Christianity, like you know, it amounts for such a small fraction of historical Christian and even today's Christianity, like it's and and which is becoming less and less Christian, you know, in many ways, as it's yeah. become all about politicized, for example, in America, the, mm-hmm. the politicized evangelicalism is it's really in a it's in trouble. And so again, needs our prayers and empathy, but but also it's like some strong voices to say, uh, beware of what you align yourself with when you and then attach the name of Jesus to it. It could just be nationalism, militarism, and patriotism with a thin veneer of Jesus talk. Yeah. Right. And so, um, but uh, um, we have good voices about that too, speaking from the inside and like national, true national prophets calling people back to Jesus. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. I just, I just realized how long I've been keeping you from whatever (laughs) you would normally be doing right now. Um, I did want to quickly talk about, I I did want to talk more about this, but um, I just recently finished listening to the pastor that you, you did with, uh, with uh, his name. Yeah. Yeah. The, the author of the shack, right? Yep. Um, yeah, I just li- listened to that on Audible, and it was amazing. Like, it was incredible. The dramatization of it was yeah. amazing, and the content was just, oh, all the emotions in that book. Like, it, it was incredible. Um, there was one line in particular um, that was, and then he saw, truly saw for the first time, saw and felt without escaping through denial, without the self-centeredness of shame, without the terror of being caught, without the self-pity of consequences, without the narcissism of self-loathing. At last, he truly felt um, what they endured. Talking about, anyway, sorry, I I don't want to give too much away, but what they endured with purified empathy, what they felt, not what they made him feel not how what they felt made him feel yeah oh like that was uh i I apologize for kind of botching it but that just oh there was so much there's so much in there like i never really thought of shame as as being a kind of a self-centered you know way of approaching things um well, is there anything in that that you that you would like to talk about? I just I could I could do two hours on that. Yeah, it's bit. it's just that you know, like this is um, you know, for listeners, it's an a, it's a, a novella, a short novel. But what's mm-hmm. authentic about it is all the stories, um, within the novel come out of of real experiences in listening prayer with actual people who've given us permission to tell their story in this mm-hmm. way. So mm-hmm. in a nonfiction book, I can't, some of the stories I'm like, well, I know, you know, uh, this person did this or whatever, but, but their stories got to be told in this. And that's why it's, it's, I think there's a feeling of authenticity to it. That is, it's not mm-hmm. just gratuitous sexual assault or something like that. It, it's, right. it's no, we're hearing testimonies of transformation and mm-hmm. that is one of them. Um, 
So the story's not all about me and my implosion or Paul and his implosion, although we yeah. both relate. Um, it's really, you know, six or eight people in a con- composite characters. Mm. And and one of the things, the, the part you just read, that does relate to my story. And that mm. is how I was, um, the ways I've harmed people uh, felt so... I felt so ashamed that I couldn't even think about how they felt. Right. My shame made the harm I had done to others all about me. Yeah. And that's why it's narcissism. Mm. And, and I, 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 I often experience this where it's like, I can kind of repent um, when I see what I've done wrong, but sometimes it takes me a whole year to actually empathize with the person I've hurt because I'm so I'm dealing with shame for the first year. And is that really repentance? You know? (laughs) So, um, but if we go back to, Oh, well, repenting is turning back to the light of Christ. And that light takes a long time to cleanse my narcissism away. And my, what about me and my self pity and my self loathing, that's a big job for me. And, um, and then, and then finally, finally, I can, I can be free enough of, of it being self, self-focused that, that I can start to actually feel um, uh, the other person's hurt. Let's say my, in ways I've hurt my wife where yeah. it's like, okay, now I'm starting to see how she feels and to feel how she feels without it constantly triggering me into an exit ramp mm-hmm. uh, away from, you know, bit of denial it's so weird that shame can be a form of denial but it's it's a denial of um uh, of that self-focused i guess i anyway right. i guess I, we said it better in the book than i can say it now <laughs> but i i can say wow yeah i i relate to those words probably paul does too yeah 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 wow yeah and i just want to kind of re- reiterate for our listeners we're not trying or I'm not, I imagine you're not either, uh, but we're not trying to like, you know, uh, make anyone feel shame for feeling shame. Uh, this is an invitation out of shame. Yeah, that's right. Uh, like you could see that's what, how shame works though. Right. It, yes. it just like, it will yeah. use anything to increase the shame. And so feeling bad about experience, no, um, the shame has often been put on you in my case, mm-hmm. I, I suppose, uh, uh, I caused the shame, but on uh, for, that I experience, uh, but for especially for victims of, uh, let's say, uh, any kind of sexual stuff that that molestation or whatever, um, that shame's been put on you and in you by by the offender, and and Jesus wants to heal us of that. And he wants me to, and he wants to heal me of that. So instead of yeah. seeing shame as another reason to feel shame, mm-hmm. I, I see, I actually feel it as a diagnostic tool inviting me back to the father's house. Oh, I'm feeling yeah. shame again today. What do I do with that? Beat myself up. No, <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I run into the light where, where I, where the cleansing away of the shame begins. And, and so Um, I'm so glad you made that caveat because that would, that would shaming people for feeling shame is the last thing I wanted to come onto your show to do. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. For sure. I want to say there's someone who's, who, who can wash that away. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, I, I've 
just because like i i know i know my audience and and i i know that there we've talked we've spoken about many really delicate topics um and i'm probably gonna have to put like 18 trigger warnings at the beginning of this <laughs> at the beginning of this episode but um i, I don't remember where i was going with that but oh, and yeah. by the way paul paul young says this uh, and a trigger warning is not a stay away sign a trigger warning, warning is a welcome in to, to face stuff yes um oh if, that's good and and, and and a call to the courage that that takes. And, and mm -hmm. I understand that. And I honor that kind of courage of folks yeah. who go, okay, there'll be, uh, I'm going to be triggered and I'm going to open my heart anyway to see if there's something good here for me. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yes. So that's, that was your first fictional work, correct? Yeah. 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 Would you, I, sorry, I think that this will probably be the last question because I know I've taken up your entire afternoon here, but um, can you talk me through kind of like what, what, what made you decide the jump from fiction, uh, some, sorry, from uh, nonfiction to fiction? Yeah, a couple of reasons. Well, yeah. Um, so one was as a little boy, I wrote a piece of fiction for a teacher hmm. who I had a great crush on. And yeah. then just before I'd handed it in, I lost it and I was devastated. Oh, no. So I promised seven-year-old me, you know, that someday I will write my story, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I was I was fulfilling that promise. That was one thing. Yeah. Uh, second, uh, I strongly believe that that fiction is a more powerful delivery system for truth yeah. than nonfiction um, because it gets in behind our rational defenses mm -hmm. and so and so a story that a fiction story is completely true well it can be right um it's it's a it's bringing us truth through the genre of storytelling in mm -hmm. a way that i believe is more transformational than nonfiction. Wow. and so for example a lot of my a lot of the big shifts i've made in let's have, have been by watching a movie Right. 10 years of debate did not turn me into, did not win me over to nonviolence. Right. But the third time I watched Apocalypse Now, something clicked in my head. I'm like, mm. I get it now. I get it. Wow. Um, I was trying not to be a homophobe. I probably thought I wasn't one, but yeah. I don't know. Something when I saw Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington in the movie Philadelphia in 90 minutes, my world changed because yeah. of because of us and in both cases, I know what it was. Mm -hmm. It is the power of empathy, which is what's happening on the cross. God in our shoes. Yeah. A movie, a story, a novel puts you into, uh, it, it helps you to identify with other characters and their plight. Mm -hmm. And that can change you. So empathy ch changes us that way. So I yeah. really felt like I wanted to do that. And then, and then finally, um, I would have been scared to do it because, because I know that um, teachers and theologians and philosophers who try to make the jump to fiction usually botch it right. and <laughs> because they get preachy <laughs> and, um, yeah. and, and hopefully I didn't, but what I would, I was willing to take the chance because I asked Paul Young if he'd help me. And I know, yeah. I, I said, I don't want to embarrass myself. I, I write fairly good nonfiction. I don't want to put out a piece of 
poor fiction, right. would you would you co-write this with me to make sure it doesn't happen? Yeah. And his willingness as a dear friend inside of our relationship yeah. to, to do that and to then help the little boy get his promise fulfilled. It was just so touching, you know, yeah. um, half the time when I talk about that, I'm weeping because it mm. just my gratitude towards here's a guy who sold like, I think tw- over 25 or 30 million copies of the shack that he would yeah. come alongside me right. to tell this story of folks and for folks who have experienced terrible trauma, but also profound healing through listening prayer that mm that it made a stage for them too. Uh, so yeah, it was well worth the risk and I may revisit it with another story sometime. Yeah. Well, I, I, I would welcome that personally, <laughs> selfishly. Um, yeah, it, because it was incredible and I'm super looking forward to, to your next so is it, it's not out yet. Is it? You can, it- you, you can pre-order already um, uh, the release date for a more Christ-like word um reading scripture the Emmaus way um mm-hmm. you can pre-order it now on on all the main you know uh, uh websites where you buy books and and i the current release date is july uh 21st okay cool that's yeah. great so i uh, sorry i lied to you i said that was that i had asked the last question i have one more question and that yeah. is uh where can people find you yeah, bradjersak.com. And uh, I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as either Brad or Bradley Jersak. I'm the only one in the world, so it's easier to find <laughs> as long as you know the spelling. Right. And sometimes you have to, I found on Audible anyway, sometimes you have to search both Brad and Bradley Jersak. Yeah, this was a hazard because uh, Amazon doesn't let you merge the two authors' names. So right. check both check both yeah, half my books are one and a half for the other yeah yeah and so all the links will be in the show notes and all of that thank you um yeah no thank you thank you so much uh it was it's such a pleasure to to finally meet you and get to talk to you likewise and yeah and hopefully i didn't overstay my welcome to the point that you won't do this again at some point ever with me oh I, i'd love to come back yeah oh thank you so much All right, friends, time for meditation. This one's going to be a little bit different, as Brad is going to lead us through a meditation conversationally, so it's going to have a little bit different feel than what Hearkening Beer usually does for our meditation formats. And I would invite you to take a pen and a piece of paper or a pencil and write down the questions that Brad is asking. And this is a meditation that you can do over and over again. And I'd welcome you right after this episode is over to read through those questions again and write down the answers. You can spend as much time as you'd like meditating on this. I feel that the exercise of writing things down can be a meditation in itself. And journaling meditation is a great way to be present in the spirit.
Um, so we've talked a lot about listening prayer, uh, Sean and I, and my experience with Brian and Della Headley. And one of the things that Brian and Della and I co-discovered with Jesus was an exercise we call the meeting place. Mm. And it's just a series of questions that we like to ask that actually draw people into, into a real safe place with the Lord. And then from there, they can go and do um, the healing work they need. But we've discovered that every human heart, no matter how battered, has this safe place that God has reserved for himself and preserved from darkness. Mm. And so um, instead of getting all intense, like we're having a session or something, um, I found that it works best, actually, if if we do it in terms of conversation. Hmm. Um, do you have any questions before I start, Sean? Uh, no. All right, here we go. So the first question I would ask people, and we could do this in a clinic, but we can do it over coffee or as we're driving around. Uh, although maybe not driving because sometimes you get weepy. Right. Um, first question is this, if you could meet God anywhere at all, one-on-one, where you felt perfectly safe, where would you meet him? And so the kind of answers people give me are, well, I'd meet him at home in a particular room, or I would meet him out at my favorite beach, or I would meet him at a mountaintop, hmm. and so on. The idea here is we're emulating King David in Psalm 23, where his safe place was out in the pastures with Hmm. God as good shepherd. Uh, But this can be a place you actually have been to. It can be a place from your memory. Sometimes it's like down at the dock by the lake where my grandpa used to take me fishing, you know, or it could be a place right now where it's like, well, there's this, this walk by the dike that I like to do. And I, I talk to God. But it can also be a completely imaginary place mm-hmm. and, um, and, and as crazy as you want, you know, and you have some agency in this, but I'm also praying that God would show you a place that's safe for you. Mm-hmm. The second thing I ask is, uh, where would you be in that place? Let's mm-hmm. say it's the beach. Are you walking? Are you standing? Are you sitting? Maybe you're in a meadow. Are you sitting in the grass or do you have a blanket? You know, and I'm so I'm looking for um, uh, to be as vivid as I can with the imagery. Mm-hmm. And usually the imagery is meaningful as well. Um, and and maybe maybe I'm on, t- I'm on top of a mountain. I also like to ask, like, how old are you in this picture? Mm-hmm. A lot of um, maybe 50 percent of people would say, oh, I'm just my age now. But mm-hmm. I especially find with very wounded people, sometimes they're a child just just before or just after their first big trauma. So mm. it's a time when they were either either innocent or had just lost their innocence in some right. kind of way. And so uh, I'm asking them, not don't just watch it like a movie, step into the picture now. So we right. step into this picture and then we, we, we say, okay, third question, if God or your higher power or whatever you relate to mm. um, were to come there, so that you feel comfortable for a face-to-face. Uh, how, how, would, how would God come? So, for, you know, for me, God comes as Jesus. But for some people, it's like a best friend or a mom or a dad. So it, it, God doesn't have to be a, a male. God can be a, a female. God can be someone 
you've never seen before, or God could be someone familiar, like your best friend. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. It's my best friend. But but for others, it's like, especially if if a male has never been safe, maybe God needs to come as a female. But if people have never been safe, maybe God needs to come as a lion, a lamb, a German shepherd, a mm. Labrador retriever. And then mm. I just ask them, well, describe a Labrador retriever. Well, faithful, friendly, warm, loyal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're describing God, which might be a much more accurate vision of God than what they had if God's a, the angry one or something. Mm. Um, so how does God come to there to you and where and and where? So is okay. So God, let's say God has come as my uh, as my Godfather. And oh, and where is he? Is he beside you? Is he in front of you? Is he facing you? Are you are you sitting? Where are you? Oh, well, okay. We're sitting together on a porch swing, maybe. Um, mm -hmm. and, and then I invite them to touch. So in this kind of way, um, could you be close enough, uh, to take God's hand or to lean on God or to be under his arm or whatever? Um, and, and some can't right away and that's okay. I don't push it, but if they can, I'm like, there's an emotional connection that happens. And it's this way. I'll say, if you could lean on God just lean like shoulder to shoulder. What does it feel like? It's like, Oh, it feels like peace. It mm -hmm. feels like safety. So now there's an emotional, I'm like, that's the presence of God. Mm -hmm. And like, Oh, okay. I've never felt this before. And it's like, what? Well, yeah. People pay a lot of money on street corners and in pharmacies yeah. for inner peace. Yeah. But what if it's there the whole time and he's been waiting for you and you can just lean on him. And this is in you. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. And then, um, and then I'll, now if God has a face or uh, an expression or whatever, even if it were a, uh, you know, animal form or spirit or fire, but I'll go, you know, it's wonderful if God shows up with a face where I can say, now, what expression do you see on his face? Mm -hmm. This is the God who loves you and he cares about you. What expression do you see? So you can see him being a little directive. I'm saying loves you and cares about you. Mm -hmm. um, if some kind of ugly, mean nasty god shows up i'm also directive i'm like oh no that's not god um, mm. but he's just exposed something he wants to remove and it's a false image that right. he'll replace with himself and then i'll just go ahead and do that i'll say you know mm. if you have a false image of god that's not loving and caring um then i'm gonna now ask the 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 the, the good shepherd yeah. or the, the the true friend to come and remove that false image because it's been the problem it's not a problem that we found it. It's good that right. we found it. So yes. it can go. Yeah. And then I'll say now, now as we look at, at, at the true image of God, what expression do you see in his face? And then I, I like to ask, what are his eyes telling you? Hmm. And whatever his eyes are communicating is actually the gospel. Mm -hmm. So I know and I care yeah. or is quite often um, what they'll say, or it's okay. Hmm. Or um, I love you or, and it's very simple, but that, that lodges in, in our hearts when we, when, when I can say, here's one thing. Okay. He says he loves you. Can I tell you a secret? I found out he can't lie. That's, mm. the, that's the real truth. Yeah. And, um, and then, and then I, I can, even though he's communicated with his expression and with his eyes, I'll also ask um, now, what's the very first thing he says to you? And, 
and and I'll just say it might come like a voice, but you might just in more like you're reading his mind, you know what he wants to say. And, um, and so in that sense, it could come as a thought. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people, they're worried that they're making it up. And I'm like, right. and they're like, was that God or was that me? It's like, no, um, here's a better question. Um, was it truth and was it love? Right. If it's truth and it's love, well, of course it's in you. Yeah. <laughs> and of course he's in you. If you can't tell the difference between you and him, that's a good problem. Yeah. You're becoming like him, right? If wow. it was kind, is it truth and is it love? Yes, God is kind and and, and he loves you. So, okay. Um, and, and so then we've established a meeting place often in about four minutes. I'll give you one example, real example. Friend of mine came over. She was uh, not a Christian. Um, she she asked me what I was doing, and it's when I was re- writing the, the book. Her gates will never be shut. Oh, I'm writing a book, and she goes, "Oh, okay. What's it about?" And I said, "Well, it's about hell." And she rolls her eyes. I'm like, "No, no, it's not like that. Yeah. What I'm um, uh, it, it's about how many of our images of hell in the past were so, um, and I pause and she goes medieval. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly it. They were medieval. But what I'm talking about is how people are already going through hell. Yeah, Their lives are just, it's so hard. And she goes, I know exactly what you mean. I'm mm-hmm. like, Oh, tell me about your hell. Yeah. She immediately starts telling me just all the stuff that she's undergoing in the human condition. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. But I have a, I have a suggestion. And she says, well, like, what is it? And I said, have you ever heard of the meeting place? <laughs> it's like, no. I'm like, well, it's a thought experiment. You want to try a thought experiment? Oh, that sounds cool. You know, so I don't call it yeah. praying. I call it a thought right. experiment. Yeah. And I said, now imagine you could meet God anywhere at all, one-on-one where you feel safe. Where would it be? Instantly, yeah. she goes, bam, I see him in the middle of a field under a big tree. Like she's having a vision. And all I had to do yeah. was ask that question. That's the question. Yeah. And then I said, um, could you move towards him? I think so. So now I'm asking her to step into the picture. Mm-hmm. And I said, as you move towards him, what's happening? And she starts weeping. And she's mm-hmm. like, I didn't know he was like this. He's so yeah. kind. He's so, he's so caring. He's I'm like, well, of course she goes, I didn't know God was like that. I'm like, well, what did you think he was like? And she said, I thought he would be like, harsh and judgmental and condemning, you know, like Christians. <laughs> and I'm like, like easy. Um, and I said, well, yeah, let's, let's come close to him. What, what are his eyes t- telling you? And now she's like sobbing. Hmm. He knows and he cares. Yeah. And, 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 and then I said, uh, I think I skipped what expression do you see in his face? And I just said, what's the first thing he wants to tell you? Mm-hmm. And she says, he's telling me, okay, now here's a non-Christian so-called right. who's meeting God in her heart and hearing his voice. Yeah. So that tells you something about how bad our theology was that, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. we wouldn't expect that. But uh, the first thing he says to her is I've been waiting here your whole life. Oh my goodness. So beautiful. And, um, and so, um, you know, she's still not a Christian, mm-hmm. but I, I can say to her anytime, it's like, uh, it sounds like you're having a rough time. Have you been to your tree lately? Oh, not mm-hmm. for a while. Oh, well, I think you should probably visit there and, and let me know how it goes. And so 
boom, she goes back to into her heart where the tree is still there and he's still there and he's still waiting and he wants to have a conversation with her. Mm -hmm. And, and, and for a while she was doing that every day. And I I don't know why she stopped and I don't know why I stop, you know, why, but I just know that um, for your listeners, that series of little questions, where would it be? Where is, where are you? Where is he? Can you touch and lean on him? What are his eyes? What are his face? What is his voice saying to you? That, that, that's, that's like a lobby to a whole relationship. Yeah. Right. And, and then once you get that far, then I just, I just ask him this at that point. So what do you want to talk about today? And then we enter a conversation and that's what I mean by prayer and meditation, I suppose, or contemplation and yeah. listening. But uh, I commend that exercise to your, your friends and your fa- your fans. So um, yeah. I, I, I have found it to be life-changing for especially those who experience deep brokenness. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I can affirm that as well. That's one of the, one of the prayers that uh, one of the meditations, as I call it, uh, that Brian and Della still, still often, often uh, go through. And yeah, it's, it's been such a huge help for me personally. Well, amen. Amen.